0: Hello, my name is Adrian Goldberg and welcome to the Byline Times podcast. This time, isn't this the real migrant boat crisis? Hundreds of people missing, many of them thought to be children en route to the Canary Islands and the relative safety of Europe after fleeing instability in Senegal. A fleet of three boats set sail a fortnight ago on the treacherous journey of more than a thousand miles from the port of Cafuntine. This follows the tragedy off the coast of Greece just a few weeks ago. The final death toll there isn't yet confirmed but it's thought that more than 500 migrants drowned. The British government of course has made it a defining mission to stop the small boats in the English Channel. 27 people died there when an inflatable dinghy capsized in November 2021. Despite the risk, And the rhetoric, more than 12,000 people have arrived in the UK so far this year on small boats, a year-on-year reduction of just 7%. We're going to be discussing this with Zoe Gardner, a migration policy expert. First, though, just a reminder that the Byline Times podcast is funded by subscriptions to the Byline Times. That's our brilliant monthly newspaper, which combines the best of our online offerings with content that you can't read anywhere else. Find out how to subscribe over at bylinetimes.com. That's at bylinetimes.com. Welcome then, Zoe Gardner. And Zoe, you've worked in this arena for many years. And I know that one of your biggest concerns is how migrants, as I'm describing them, human beings, people, are so often dehumanized in our coverage of these tragedies.
1: Yeah, it really does worry me. The only report that I've seen about this latest potential tragedy, where hundreds of people may have died, as you said, men, women, and probably many children, has just said that much. That's all we know. We don't know who they are as individuals. I don't think that there will be any impetus for people to investigate, to find out. And it's horrific, but it's the only way that we could possibly tolerate this. You know, this isn't. The first mass drowning that we've had to hear news of, even this month. And it wouldn't be possible for us to tolerate that if we understood each one of those people who are lost as real human beings who matter as much as you and I do, who are given backstories and humanized and given a name and given their families and loved ones, given the chance to talk about them, about who they were, about what motivated them, about what they were looking for and what they were trying to escape it wouldn't be tolerable. We would have to change something. If we really understood these people as human, then the primary thing that would be of the utmost importance would be to save their lives. It's not possible that we would let people that we really understand as humans drown in these numbers.
0: And I use the phrase migrants because, of course, that is strictly true. That is what people are. They are seeking to migrate from one part of the world to another. But I also wonder whether that language is part of the problem.
1: Well, I'm quite forceful on keeping migrant as a word that we are allowed to use to describe these people. We should, of course, talk about them as men, women and children. We should talk about them as humans, as people, people with dreams, people with hope. But they are migrants because all a migrant is, is somebody who moves. Lots of us move for all sorts of different reasons around the world. When those movements are forced, we call that movement a refugee movement. But there's nothing wrong with being a migrant. And I think we should push back against that sort of acceptance that it's somehow wrong or bad to call people migrants being a migrant is great it's fine it's totally natural but what I have seen in terms of the language definitely is more and more outlets including the BBC using the term illegal migrants where a year ago two years ago they would have said asylum seekers they might have said economic migrants they might have said you know migrants making irregular journeys all of those can be argued to be true Right? You can make an argument for calling people refugees, you can make an argument for calling them humans, for calling them migrants, or for calling them illegal migrants. You can make a case for any of that. But it is interesting that that shift in mainstream media has happened. and We started seeing more and more the choice to describe them as illegal migrants, which is far, far more dehumanizing. It directly parrots the government's framing of the issue, which is not, as I say, the only legitimate framing at all. And it plays into, as I say, this dehumanization.
0: And my understanding on that point is that you're not an illegal migrant until your claim has been assessed. So you may arrive in this country on a small boat, but that in itself, at the moment, as I understand it, is not an illegal act. So you have the right to claim asylum at the point at which your asylum claim is finally assessed, and that may take many months or even years, People are in a position to call you either an illegal migrant or a legal migrant. But until that point, we just don't know. Is that right?
1: Well, yes, more or less. In fact, the reason why this has become contentious at all is because it's is quite complicated. But as the law is formulated, yes, if you're a refugee, if you're found to have bled persecution, then retrospectively the law says, well, your journey wasn't illegal because the law recognizes basically that refugees so rarely have any other way to escape danger and they must escape danger and so it sort of goes back and says well in fact that journey was not illegal and what the government is doing in the uk at the moment is removing the right for people to claim asylum Mm -hmm. so removing the possibility that we could then say look they're refugees their journey wasn't illegal and it has introduced greater and greater criminalization of different steps along that migrant journey, which again, international law recognises that if they are refugees, they're entitled to make those journeys that fall outside of the legal paperwork that you and I would have to fill out in order to make the same journeys because we weren't fleeing persecution. But if we don't allow people to claim asylum, then that's the argument that allows them to say, well, in fact, they're illegal migrants. And really, It depends on how you define things. And that's why I say it's a choice. You can just as easily make the case that we should be talking about human beings, about refugees. You know, in the large majority of cases, people are found to be refugees. And even where they're not really, we're talking about people who have escaped from circumstances that are dangerous Mm -hmm. in all cases and who have experienced journeys that are extremely dangerous in all cases. So you can just as easily make a case that we should be calling them all refugees. And it's a choice. And as I say, more and more broadcasters and more and more journalists and newspapers are making the choice to go with the more dehumanizing, more negative framing. And it has an impact. There have been endless studies done on this. If you refer to illegal migrants, people have a more negative reaction to what they should be entitled to, their rights and their protections that they should have than if you refer to people seeking asylum, people seeking sanctuary, or to refugees. It does have an impact. So these choices really matter.
0: And the illegal migration bill currently going through Parliament would make it illegal for people to arrive here on small boats. De facto, if you arrived here on a small boat via a channel crossing, you would be breaking the law. And that might make you liable for deportation to what the UK believes is a safe third country, such as Rwanda. Although the courts have objected to that, of course, but that is not yet law in this country. At the moment, if you arrive in the UK through a small boat, you are not de facto an illegal migrant.
1: No. And in many cases, you won't have had any say whatsoever in that journey either. There are a lot of people making these journeys who are in fact under the control of criminal gangs, under the control of trafficking rings. They are being forced into labor, uh, being smuggled into the country in order to disappear then into exploitative situations around the country. So they don't actually have any choice or in many cases, any idea where they're going. There are obviously people who are on the beaches in France who are trying to get to the UK, but they are not actually the whole picture here. And many people that I've worked with throughout my career have told me how they arrived, you know, they were dumped off of a truck, either in London or on the side of the road sometimes in the middle of the UK. And they had to wander around and ask somebody where they were. And that in itself being a hugely traumatic part of their experience of just arriving here and not knowing where they were, what language was going to be spoken here, and what would become of them. And the very least, the thing they will hope for is that they will then be able to find protection. And too often that isn't the case. And as you say, with the government's illegal migration bill, it's making that almost impossible for that to be the case.
0: There is a contrast, isn't there, between the treatment of migrants from Africa, from the Asian subcontinent and those arriving from Eastern Europe, from Ukraine. And I make no criticism of anyone arriving from Ukraine, desperately trying to flee a horrible conflict caused by Putin's invasion of their country. I have every sympathy with those people. But there is such a marked contrast between their treatment by the British government and those of other migrants.
1: Yeah, and I've never heard an answer to the question of why British people and the British government don't expect all Ukrainians to stay in Poland and Moldova, the first safe country, theoretically, that they would reach. And actually, in many cases, a much safer country than the first so-called safe country that refugees fleeing countries in Africa and the Middle East might reach. If you're seeking sanctuary from Sudan in Somalia or Yemen, there is refugees from Iran in Afghanistan and from Afghanistan in Iran. So and in a lot of cases, refugees around the world are reaching the first country where they are immediate physical safety and not actually in a safe place at all whatsoever. But you could very strongly argue that Ukrainians reaching Poland and Moldova are in a safe country. And yet we understand, and as you said, I fully agree with this assessment, we understand that not all Ukrainians should be made to just stay put once they are in immediate physical safety, and that they may have reasons to want to move to other European countries, including the UK. They may have connections to this country. They may just think that the UK is the place where they will be safest and have the best opportunities for them. And for some reason that I find it hard to just boil down to racism, but I don't see another explanation. We understand that they should have the right to make other choices about their life to want to pursue a future with an education, opportunity for work, all of these choices that we implicitly accept as viable choices for Ukrainian refugees to make, that they don't have to just stay put in a camp in Moldova. They should have the right to move on to France, to Germany, to the UK, and we will provide safe ways for them to do that. Why do we not believe that people escaping from Syria, or escaping from Sudan, or escaping from anywhere else around the world Should have that same right to any kind of level of autonomy or choice about their futures.
0: Politicians often refer to Britain's great history of tolerance when it comes to migration. And I myself am the beneficiary of that. My father was a refugee from Germany because he was Jewish. And sadly, most of his family died. And I would not be here today were it not for this country's embrace of my father. So there is clearly truth to that tradition of tolerance. But as someone who's spent all her life in this country, I'm given that history, I'm always astonished at how easy it is for hatred of migrants or fear of migrants to be whipped up decade after decade, generation after generation.
1: Yeah, and I think it is a duality that is real in this country. I mean, I very strongly believe that British people as a whole, now there are notable exceptions to this, but as a whole, we are welcoming people. We are warm and generous people. We are kind people. We're the kind of people who will help out somebody if we see them struggling next to us on the street. We have strong communities that support each other, and I fundamentally believe that about us. It's the truth. And when people see stories and are given the opportunity to respond to individual stories, human stories, about refugees and about foreigners, so we have Ukrainians as a perfect example, people respond with huge openness, huge warmth, huge generosity. They give up spaces in their own homes, and the hundreds of thousands of people did that in the UK. You know, it's a hugely generous act. When we talk about the Windrush scandal and how people from the Caribbean who have lived in this country for generations were targeted wrongly by immigration enforcement. People reacted with horror because our stories about the Windrush generation are human stories of people who came and made a contribution. And our stories about Ukraine, you know, newspapers and The media has been full of it, day after day after day after day, of explaining the horrors of what Ukrainian people are going through. We had about a week of coverage of what's going on in Sudan. We had about two weeks of what happened in Afghanistan. That's completely out of the agenda now, that the real stories of the individuals who are impacted by this don't break through, aren't humanized in the same way, aren't put in front of our eyes. And people would care about it in the exact same way, but instead they're presented with numbers of faceless non-white people who are just a tide of misery at best and at worst some kind of imposition and threat to us and they're presented as a sort of trade-off it's constantly presented as a trade-off oh there's no easy answers well you know if we save their lives then somehow we'd have to lose something that's how it's presented which isn't true at all we would gain immensely from allowing greater pathways for safe migration for these people I mean generally speaking the UK has an aging population generally speaking the world has a climate to disaster problem, we are going to have to use the opportunity that migration as an adaptive behavior brings us to support all of us, both in the global north and the global south. And we can do that in ways that benefit us all, but it's presented entirely dehumanized way is presented as something in which we are the losers from people coming and we weigh people's lives in that balance just on the news this morning when they talked about the boat that sank off of athens off of kalamata in greece they talk about 500 people dying and then they said well yeah but there's no real easy right and wrong here well yes i'm afraid there is if you understand those people are people then the right thing to do was to save their lives And we didn't do it. And that was the wrong thing to do. And it isn't difficult at all. It really isn't difficult at all. And it's presented as though there was some kind of weighing in the balance of those lives against something else, indefined. But I think that is ultimately a racist view that white Europe is under threat somehow from these people.
0: And yet, politicians continue to believe that being harsh towards migrants is profitable. I think back to the pre EU referendum. Vote and the poster in front of which Nigel Farage stood, which appeared to show, in inverted commas, swarms of migrants arriving from the European Union. Had we remained within the EU, only last week the immigration minister Robert Jenrick ordering the painting over of cartoon characters like Mickey Mouse from a reception centre meant for unaccompanied children seeking asylum in this country, in Kent.
1: Yeah. Once you've reached that level, once you've reached the level when you're talking about lone children arriving in this country in traumatising circumstances, and you are taking active steps to make their reception less welcoming, less safe-seeming to them, you are far beyond the realm where people like me should be expected to respond with rationality that, you know, they're constantly being told, oh, yeah, there's nothing wrong with wanting to control our borders and have a fair and firm immigration system. That is simply not what we are seeing here. We are talking about a ghoulish, evil, and totally inhuman response to vulnerable human beings, including children. And Nobody should stand for it for a second to say that any of what the government is doing right now has anything to do with a fair, firm, controlled immigration system, because none of this is intended to give us control. Of course it isn't. Just like the Brexit breaking point poster that you mentioned, by Brexiting, we didn't get control over that at all. You get control over things by regulating them, by creating visas and travel documents for people to come here safely. You lose control by pushing migration into this illegal zone where it is then controlled by criminal gangs who can exploit people more and more and more. So we are losing control. It's a deliberate way of organizing things because you maintain that other that you can continue to make political capital of. Anyone who thought that once we'd Brexited, there would be no more migrants for for politicians to blame for our problems has been clearly shown to have been mistaken. There will always be another way to demonize another group. And that is why we really need to stand up against it as a whole, and on a principled level, and say that we need to do things a different way. And that none of this in any way represents British people, British values, British fairness, um, anything of that kind. This is pure performative cruelty and it absolutely needs to be thrown out in its entirety this entire approach has failed us it has led to uncountable deaths untold suffering and now it is trying to scare little children it is beyond the pale entirely and decent people must stand up against it in its entirety and i say that i suppose with one eye to how a potential labor future government might respond to this And whether they will repeal in full the illegal migration bill or whether they will try to soften some of the edges and pretend that this is in any way based on a legitimate approach to migration. And I really, really hope that we won't be let down on that front. But I do think that we need to take this moment of painting over cartoon characters. That is emblematic of the entire illegal immigration bill, the entire
0: approach of this government. So much of this is mediated through the media and the choice of whether to humanize people by telling their individual stories or attempting to grapple with the complexity of that, or simply dehumanizing them by treating them as one big undifferentiated group. That's a choice that editors and journalists make every day in newsrooms up and down the country. And it's such an important difference. And Byline Times has spent a lot of its career examining the media critically. And I'd say that this is one of the areas where the media, certainly the traditional right-wing newspapers, who are so important in setting the agenda in terms of discussion points elsewhere in the media, seem to feel that it is profitable to get down the route of dehumanisation rather than humanization.
1: But it is profitable as well in very concrete ways. It's not just selling newspapers and clicks on newspapers, because I think that that could be achieved in a more humanising way. I mean, there was a lot of conversation about the contrast of how the titan submersible was covered versus the loss at sea of migrant boats. And, you know, they both generate huge amount of clicks. So I think hate sells, but... So does compassion. And I think there are more than one way of going about it. But it's not just there where the profits are made. Anyone who tells you that we don't have the resources to afford to protect refugees is missing something really obvious, which is that it costs a massive amount to enact this cruelty. And it isn't something that we're doing passively. And there are private companies that are making huge amounts of profit from our failure to protect migrants' lives at sea, our failure to offer a safe and welcoming asylum system. The government has private contracts with all of the people that are running these horrific hotels, the people who are going to run the barge, the people who are going to run the disused army barracks as substandard accommodation for asylum seekers for the long term. That makes money for certain people. Um, There is 800 million It's hard to actually fathom. 800 million euros given by the EU to the Tunisian government just this month to try to contain migrants in Tunisia. So that's building detention centers that's purchasing high-tech surveillance equipment from surveillance firms that they are again making a packet. There's a huge amount of money here and in commercial interests in maintaining a system that is killing people. And that goes before you even start talking about the, the arms trade and the money that's being made from making these countries unsafe in the first place where people are fleeing from. But that's something beyond what my expertise goes to, but certainly that's happening too. So there is a lot of financial interest in maintaining the status quo that kills people.
0: Really fascinating to speak to you, Zoe. We'll speak again soon, I'm sure. Zoe Gardner, migration policy expert. I'm Adrian Goldberg. You've been listening to the Byline Times podcast edited by me and Harvey White and funded by subscriptions to the Byline Times. Please think about taking out a subscription to the byline times our brilliant monthly newspaper you get details over at bylinetimes.com this has been a we bring audio production for the byline times we'll see you again very soon but for now thank you and goodbye cheers